we are. Now we're recording. Okay. I don't get it. Hello, everyone. Hello. Welcome to I Don't Get It, a podcast in Edmonton about performances. And arts in general. Uh, we are part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Right. Boom. Uh, I'm Paul. I'm Fonda. And what's been going on, Fonda? Uh, well, thanks for thanks for covering for me these last couple of weeks because I had a I had a thing to do. Sure. How that? How you feeling? It post was, thing. Post thing, really good. Really right. good. It's great. Um, how about you, Paul? What have you been up to? Mm. You know, um, I was helping run a haunted house uh, for the season. As many artists in Edmonton do during the month of October. Sure. And I learned that the real monster is people who've had a few too many. Um, oh, were they allowed to drink in your haunted house? Uh, there was like a, a general, like there was a quad area. There was a beer tent in the quad area. Mm. Anyway, that, that was the most chilling part of all. That's how that happens. Sure. All right. Well, um, yeah. So, uh, well, I guess we have a couple things to talk about on the podcast yes. today. The Edmonton Arts Council has released the the, the draft form of their their uh, connections and exchanges plan, their new ten year plan right. on uh, uh, to transform arts and heritage in Edmonton, and we'll talk about that I think um, in a little bit. But first, you went and saw something, Fonda. I saw something that wasn't associated with my festival. <laughs> Hooray! Um, what did you see? I saw Blood, a scientific romance, which was a production by the Maggie Tree. And um, yeah, it was uh, it was at the Backstage Theater um, right. in Old Strathcona. Mm-hmm. Nice little space. I love how they we've seen so many different things there that have really changed up the format mm-hmm. um, or like the formation of the stage, I guess. So um, this one was a like a tight little four-hander. It's based on um, uh, the playwright is Meg Bram, um, and it's based on the story of two fraternal twins who um, they lose their parents very young in a car crash and then are raised by a doctor. Okay, who progresses to um, try and find out things about love and connection through scientific method um, mm. by essentially doing tests on these twins. Okay, so that that doesn't sound um, necessarily ethical. <laughs> <laughs> no, if you were, yeah, if you had any, um, I mean, in the play they talk about uh, the doctor's research um, and there's a young mentee who comes in who seeks out the, the doctor mm-hmm. um, played by, um, actually, and the the two roles I wanted to point out, um, Dr. Glass and Max, the mentee to, to Dr. Uh, Dr. Glass, were written as male roles originally. Oh, cool. And um, the, in this production, the Maggie Tree production, they're, they've changed it into two female roles. Okay. Um, so that's kind of interesting because, and I didn't know that about the play Walking In, actually. Mm-hmm. So when I was watching watching it um it was interesting because all i could think of was was this interesting female mentor mentee relationship um that the doctor and max had um and so yeah it kind of it it struck me as sort of strange to find out afterwards i was like because it seemed to work so well it seemed the play actually seemed to talk all about female mentorship sure yeah yeah um so in that way i thought it was kind of interesting to be able to kind of um go in going cold and find that that out after Cool. So, so what are some of the elements that that stood out about this production in terms of uh, how you felt about it, uh, things you noticed? 
Um, I the movement of the two twins. So they're fraternal twins, played by um Jace McKenzie. I'm not sure if it's Jace or JC. I think it's Jace. Jace, Jace McKenzie, and uh, Gianna Vitsirka. Um, so the twins are names are Angelique and Pubel. I just love the name Pubel. Amazing. It's really adorable. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, in any case, so they're these two twins. They um the play starts and they kind of they show the car crash that happens through movement. Um, I want to point out that um Amber Barotic was the choreographer on this show and I thought that the movement really lent to the storytelling beautifully um so this car crash happens um and they the the doctor comes out sort of as a narrator almost telling the story of how these twins in recovery and how the idea for her research sort of came out was that one of the twins wasn't doing very well until the other one was put just in the same room as her Mm. and so it seemed to actually cause a healing twinly magic twinly magic sure okay <laughs> um and the relationship between the two twins was really was really nice. They, um, I felt that the performers, even though they um, uh, in physical appearance are a little bit different, sure. um, they did seem very much like sisters. They had sort of like an like kind of like an opposite dynamic that I know many pairs of sisters have um, that really complemented each other. And mm-hmm. you could still, you know, you you felt you felt a good bond between them actually. Um, and I think that both of their performances were um, were really lovely. In particular, the moments where um, there's some moments in this show that can be quite triggering because it is essentially showing um, abuse that is happening to one of the twins and then the doctor expecting the other twin to react. Right. Um, And so, and they do this essentially with a tub of ice. Okay. Um, And so it can be, I mean, it can be a little bit quite disturbing to watch um, Mm -hmm. in certain ways. Um, But at the same time, there's, there are these ways that they sort of fight for each other that, that, you know, it it feels, it feels okay, I guess, in the end. Um, I know a lot of people had some different thoughts about how the way that the show ended, but I, you know. I, I just kind of really enjoyed seeing the relationship play out throughout the show itself. Sure. So how does it make you feel about the ethics of science um, <laughs> and about that, that, that sort of bond between, uh, between uh, twins in this particular case? Um, I think that if, if I were to know for sure that nothing like this had ever actually happened and that it was just sort of a hypothetical, um, like, can we test the love bond, the connection bond between siblings by doing, you know, scientific experiments that mm-hmm. are, you know, sort of like empirical measurements of love right. or of connection. Trying to quantify this sort of unquantifiable thing. Yeah. And, and, and how it works, you know, if I knew that that kind of stuff um, didn't actually happen in the real world, maybe I'd be like, oh, this is an interesting hypothetical play. Right. But realistically there ha- there are instances like this that have happened there are researchers that go too far that you know where mm-hmm. especially with children you know and so i think that that's um you know we've had conversations before about adult actors playing children's roles i think that this would have been impossible to watch if it were actually kids there sure yeah um yeah. kids on stage for mm-hmm. this um and they and it really takes them over a number of years too so you're you're seeing them as adults and children right um but yeah there's and i i i can't i would agree with certain people like some conversations i had with people about the play saying that like it was just a little bit it was a little bit much the bath scenes the cold water scenes sure. Yeah. Um, even though you, you know, in my own mind and equity, you know, like actors equity and all that kind of stuff, I know that the water is not that cold. Like right, I know right, right. that they're fine on stage, that they're safe. And, uh, but 
Yeah, it is. There's those, you know, those experiences in theater sometimes where you get just uncomfortable enough to really think about how worth it is this? How worth it is this type of question? And why can't we just let the magic of connection and love just be that and and that's enough? Right, but instead we have this person who is doggedly pursuing the idea of trying to quantify this idea. This yeah, feeling. yeah. And so, I mean, you know... Yeah, I guess it kind of also depends what sort of, like, mood you're in. And I think also, too, having your own siblings. I think that, uh, you know, I have a sister, and I know what our relationship is like. Um, you know, and, you know, you have a brother. Like, I do. So, yeah, watching <laughs> watching and knowing that there's a certain bond between siblings um, that is... It's like nothing else in the world, right? Mm-hmm. It's like no other bonds that you would have. Um but, you know, who's to say that there's anything really, you know, other than genetics that's really scientific about that? Sure. So uh, so let me ask you this, Fonda. Did mm-hmm. uh, Blood, A Scientific Romance, uh, make you uh, feel more strongly about that um, that bond, that that's a prevalent thing or, or uh, something that can be measured? I think I think it made me think a little bit more about why we want to try and understand things that should just remain in my in my opinion that should just remain something magical and undefinable sure yeah. um and this is maybe why you know you'll catch me talking about spirituality and religion sometimes even mm-hmm. is because i think that there are things about our psyche and about the way that our interactions and our connections with other people work that we'll never fully be able to understand in a science in a, in a strictly scientific right. way and they, I, we can break this down empirically yeah, yeah i think that there are there is nuance and that's why and that's why we have art mm-hmm. maybe you know i don't know <laughs> great yeah cool okay cool great well, so that was Blood, A Scientific Romance by Meg Bram. Um, sadly, we didn't get to see it um, earlier on in the run because it's 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 closed now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but that's how things go in October, right, Paul? And how. Yeah. Um, before we move on, Fonda, it seems like a great time for an ad. Back to School Again is a podcast about people who make the decision in midlife to return to school, either to pursue a new type of career, to augment their current career, or just for the sheer challenge of learning something new. It chronicles the personal journey of host Katrina Ingram, who is back in school after more than two decades away. Back to School Again is presented by Norquest College and is an affiliated member of the Alberta Podcast Network. You can also find the episodes at backtoschoolagain.ca. I've always wanted to go back to school just for the sheer pleasure of learning something new. Yeah, I miss academia, uh, even though I'm going back to school next year, um, but for a much more technical thing. But I, I like I like studying. I like reading things and going deep. Reading, learning is good. And yeah, going deep on plays and some play analysis oh, in my life. Yeah, yeah. Like, let's get into it. All right. Speaking of getting into it, mm-hmm. uh, Fonda, let's talk about this uh, this draft of the new Arts and Heritage Plan for, for Edmonton that the Alberta, the Edmonton Arts Council is putting forward. Yeah, good God, you can hear me shuffling through it. It's 160 pages and change, mm. um, published in four separate sort of books as sections. Okay, and what are the, what's the section breakdown? Like, how are those divided? Well, so the first book is all about sort of the how they got to the plan. Right. It explains, um, it explains their consultation process. It explains sort of like an elevator pitch of like what they want, because it is a 10-year plan. Yeah. Um, um, important things to note are that it's not only a plan for the Edmonton Arts Council, um, and the Arts Council isn't the only one who's responsible for implementing it. Right. 
It's also um, a goal for the Edmonton Heritage Council Mm -hmm. and for Arts Habitat. So these are the three agencies that are supposed to execute this plan. Sure, yeah. Um, Yeah, and it, I mean, so yeah, that's the first book. It's essentially a lot of kind of preamble. Right, it's just like, this is how we got to what the plan is. Yeah, books two, three, four um, focus each on one of the three aims outlined in the plan. Mm-hmm. So the three aims, I think, are kind of, um, or, or the three ambitions, sorry, no. There's ambitions, aims, and actions. Gotcha. Three ambitions, eight aims, and 55 actions. Okay. So the ambitions are sort of like the big overarching goal. Um, and those ambitions are um, to be, for the city to be alive with arts and heritage, mm-hmm. for the city to be a hub for extraordinary creation and reputation, and the last one is uh, for the city to be a thriving and well-funded arts and heritage ecosystem. So within those three ambitions, there are a number of aims assigned to each of them. And the aims are sort of like those um, sort of like measurable observations that you'll be able to see that prove that the ambition is happening or is on its way. Right. Um, and then further down even to that, there are these 55 actions that are each associated to the aims and mm-hmm. ambitions. Now, so That yeah. sounds very dense. It's also talking about 10 years, which is, you know, and I remember from The Art of Living, which was the previous 10-year plan for the city, um, mm-hmm. there was a lot in there. And, uh, you know, there was a lot that did come out of that. There were a lot that was attempted that, for one reason or another, didn't maybe uh, achieve its, its aim, but yeah. was sort of like, it was... This is the direction we want to go in. And when mm-hmm. this one, with even the title of it, which is uh, Connections and Exchanges, mm-hmm. uh, it looks to be sort of um, trying to take those further and trying to connect those, not just in like, uh, here's Edmonton stuff, but here is what we want for all of these different communities. Yeah. I mean, it seems to me if I were to kind of like m- make an overarching statement about sure. it, the connections and exchanges are, I think, things that are supposed or or they hope will happen so that the life of artists and Edmontonians becomes enriched by culture and heritage. Right. Well, they, 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 one of their early things and all of the, uh, the, the big things is they want uh, arts in every element of Edmontonian life and living. They want it in involved in everything. Yeah. And I think that, um, one of the, one of the, um, interesting things that I thought, I just came from a consultation session where, um, Sanjay Jahani, the executive director at the Arts Council um, was speaking to a PACE, a PACE gathering. Right. PACE is the Professional Arts Coalition of Edmonton. Nice. Future uncertain. Um, Wait, what? <laughs> well, they've, they've gone through a lot of change themselves, PACE, right? They sure, used yeah. to run the Mayor's Celebration for the Arts, and then that, of course, didn't happen um, in this last year. Uh, and they're still kind of um, in a decision-making phase about where the society or where the organization should go next. Sure, right. So... Interesting that this should happen at a pace meeting, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and 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 you know I was kind of sad to say like I only heard about it through a pace newsletter, but I I kind of thought that I would see a better turnout at something like this, especially since they've just sort of dropped this plan. It's just been approved by city mm-hmm. council. Um, it was it was essentially like a chance to answer to ask questions, um, and I don't know that um, I don't know that I saw the representation from the community that that really got all those questions on the table. Sure. So um, I guess before we move on to that, uh, what were some of the questions that were coming up? Uh, what were sort of the 
the things that people seem to be asking about about this plan at this consultation? Um, one of the one of the first questions that came out was if there was any um, if there was any sort of interaction or intent for interaction with um, other sort of third party organizations sure. like the Edmonton Economic Development or um, you know the the myriad organizations that Edmonton also works service right. organizations that Edmonton also employs um, other than the Arts Council because one of the things that I think even working in the arts uh, here, we realize that there are certain times when, um, you know, at the city level, one hand is not talking to the other. Sure, yeah. um, tourism doesn't seem to promote the arts as a destination for Edmonton at all, um, other than maybe the fringe. Mm-hmm. Um so there's those sorts of um, other like big economic drivers that don't seem to recognize culture as a thing, mm. whereas we get a lot more money in put in things like, you know, Red Bull crash dice and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was one of the questions that came out. And um, uh, Sanjay's response was that, yes, there is intent to work w- more with those organizations and to get more meaningful involvement and meaningful sort of buy in into the car, the the economic impact of the arts connections and exchanges if you will more connections and exchanges Mm -hmm. yeah and then um another one of the questions there was one there was one person in the session who uh, kind of took took issue with just the language that the um that the plan was written in and the kind of the format Mm -hmm. it is very businessy it is not it's it's all it's full of jargon it really is it is not for some you know a lay person who doesn't know anything about you know like a grant writing or or even like business strategic plan um this would be largely indecipherable in in a big way um with the exception of i feel in the in the first book they did try and um attach some narrative and storytelling elements sure yeah um to what the plan is actually supposed to look like okay like they had examples of people you know you know who were x age and and they get you know like i don't know a notification on their phone about a dance performance um and that's just sort of like an example of like one of the you know impacts of this plan is that there's gonna be stuff like that sure this is how we would see this in action yeah um and then so other other questions kind of formed around you know one of the questions that i put forward was are are you hearing enough feedback are you hearing enough from the community and who are you not hearing from? Right. Um, because I, you know, that that map is up there and there's a hundred and a hundred and some uh, lobsticks right. on the, the there. The culture map where people could sort of put, put a lobstick in on this this map, this Google map and sort of be like, oh, and here here's a, what I want from here. Here's a memory I have here, etc. Yeah, the map has been up for a year and, and some now. And I'm just kind of, you know, like... Who who really is giving the feedback? Is it too narrow? You know, um, and and what uh, and what is what is the buy-in from the larger community? If you're if you just only hear from, um, you know, dedicated artists and people who are working in the arts, sure, you get a good section of what they're saying. But like, how can you make art relevant to someone who is who never gets to see it, who doesn't know how to talk about it, or or even knows that this process is happening? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's kind of like a concern that I have, but what the, what it really boils down to is that this is just sort of still the beginning of, right. of the draft and the plan because 2019 is going to be a whole other year of con- more consultation. Mm-hmm. And so Fonda, um, what do you think, what do you think that year needs to be? If this is sort of the draft, if we have this, this dense document that sort of has a lot of, um, goals and ambitions and, 
what is that? How do they whittle that down? How does that extra year of consultation um, help them formulate that? What do we what do we think the idealized version of that year is? Yeah, I think that's a really complex answer um, because mm-hmm. these 55 actions, the way that they're written, um, there's a there's a lot of work that could be done on each. Sure. Um, and I think that it's unrealistic to assume that the Arts Council and the Heritage Council and Arts Hub are the only ones that are going to execute this work. I think that I really hope that the arts community and working artists are um, given incentive to be involved, mm-hmm. um, and that they are and and that they are. Um, in, included in the actual processing of the next consultation because um, it was great to see some of the creative narrative that came out of this part of the plan but what what I would really what I would really hope to see is that there's a lot more careful thought around um, how creative artists can be with a plan like this right. and you know why not let them, why not that let them help and give them, you know, that that sort of incentive that they need to help right. to, to come out and mm-hmm. to be involved and to make those take those extra steps to get enough voices involved. Yeah. Because I think sometimes we refer to like the Edmonton arts community, but that is such a broad thing to think about. And mm-hmm. when you think of how that breaks down into performances, even within that subset that we sort of look at on this podcast, we have theater, we have dance, we have um, non-specific things that don't fit into either of those. We have yeah. uh, a bunch of different things. And then there's, you know, the whole public perception of public art spending and like all those sorts of things. Like mm-hmm. it's um, one of the other things that came out in the meeting today was about how there's a lack of criticism around public art. People don't know how to respond to it because they don't have any. Um, there's there's very few voices out there saying this is what this art is is it, this is what it is. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> as a fun aside, um, because at this haunted house I've been uh, I've been near the Talus Dome mm-hmm. uh, of much controversy <laughs> a lot on my on my way there. Um, and there's a there's a plaque, and I'd never read it before, and so because I I've, I've never been walking around there as before, and uh, I didn't know some things about that, and it did like. Uh, alter my perception of this thing, which, for the record, I am pro telestome. I like a big weird pile of balls near the totally. side of the road. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, it was good to get that context in, which came in a plaque. But I don't know how or where that had ever been presented um, publicly as much. Where like the history and why it is this and mm-hmm. what these represent, you know? Yeah, these things. it's not. I mean, I've only ever driven past the telestome sure, too, yeah. right? Most, like how many people, people? How many people are yeah. actually walking past that plaque? So it's that kind of like thoughtfulness around, you know, I don't want to call it education per se, but just like a more sort of robust discussion around the art that is happening and that does exist already. Right. So mm-hmm. beyond just having a plan, how do we make a robust discussion about that plan mm-hmm. is sort of what we need. Yeah. Like I would I would really like to show this plan to some people who are not artists, people who are small business people or people who have sponsored the arts in the past. What do they think of this? You know, because what it if if we're talking about connections and exchanges, yeah, I wanna see I think I think it would be worthy to see how other people, other other communities would actually weigh in and say, this is what culture means to me. And and, you know, so then we either get an idea of what the work that needs to be done Mm -hmm. or you get an you get an idea of, um, you know, like how it's already happening. Right. Mm -hmm. And and one of maybe the one of the most vocal responses I've heard to this plan so far is from uh, someone in the indigenous community. 
uh, who sort of um, within this plan there is a sort of a commitment to work with uh, with Treaty Six and um, with some of those ideas of, of truth and reconciliation, but nothing concrete mm -hmm. um, in any of those fifty five actions. And so there was criticism from from that in that. Uh, indigenous art wasn't being specifically represented uh, and indigenous artists weren't being specifically uh, represented in these action items which are maybe the more concrete sort of sort of things so so that's one community that's sort of been like hey um you know we want something concrete here about how you're going to work with us not just a, a, a commitment to do that which great sure but uh let's see something uh, a more measurable goal rather than uh, yeah, that idea of uh, we we will do this. Yeah, I mean, it right now the way that it's kind of written into into the um, the document is that it's it's um it's a it's a statement of intent. Mm, um, right. it's it's considering the indigenous communities' cultural independence. Um, and they the the goal of the EAC or the goal of the you know organizations making this document, um. They, they express that indigenous peoples have agency in their journeys of revitalizing and participating in traditional, contemporary, and future manifestations of their culture. So for, you know, I mean, a statement like that, I think it, it for one, it sort of just like covers the base, I guess, sure. in the most crude way um, of the, of the, um, the writers of the plan saying, we know that indigenous communities do not always work in this sort of like strategic right. yes. planning structure way that our cities and our and our service councils do. Yes, it's a very yeah. Um and so they want to they wanted to express that understanding and then doing that and also um there's no real communities represented in the in the actions so far. They're very broad and vague because they though the, you know the grit uh of those still need to actually be written in this next consultation process mm -hmm. um so yeah but for for there not to be almost a specific section that was dedicated to goals within the indigenous arts community mm -hmm. um could have been an oversight but you know i guess we'll see what the next uh process has to offer this episode of I Don't Get It is brought to you by We Are Alberta, a podcast by ATB. Every month, join host and ATB economist Nick Ford as he explores Alberta's geography, its businesses, organizations, and its diverse and fascinating people, all viewed through an economic lens. Episode 1 features Keenan Pascal and Cam O'Neill from Token Naturals and discusses how they are working with cannabis and how Alberta's economy might evolve in light of this budding industry. To learn more, visit atb.com. Hey, everyone. Uh, we had a slight technical hiccup with the last few minutes of our uh, recording, so we don't have the usual sign-off that Paul and I do um, and the listings for you, which mostly had to do with Halloween anyway. So um, with that, happy Halloween. Go see some shows and make sure that you weigh in on these um, upcoming consultation processes that, uh, that the Arts and Heritage Plan will still be going through. Um, yeah, thanks so much for listening. Bye. I Don't Get It is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or check us out on albertapodcastnetwork.com or the CKUA radio app. 
I Don't Get It is recorded on Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, Alberta, in the Edmonton Community Foundation's podcast studio. Our theme music is Mountain Time by Ghibli, and you can find more of Ghibli's music by going to ghibli.bandcamp.com. I Don't Get It is produced by Andrew Paul, Fonda Mithrush, and Paul Blenov. Sit here thinking about love.